0: we meet on holy ground, brought into being as life encounters life, as personal histories merge into one communal story, as we take on the pride and pain of our companions, as separate selves become community. How desperate is our need for one another, perhaps more so than ever in these seemingly precarious times? Our silent beckoning to our neighbours, our invitations to share life and death together, our welcome into the lives of those we meet and their welcome into our home. May our souls capture this treasured hour, may our spirits celebrate our meeting in this time and in this space for we meet on holy ground. Well, good morning everyone and welcome to Essex Church. Welcome to this precious gathering, this precious and somewhat select gathering of spiritual seekers. Drawn together from near and far, some here in person and some, perhaps more than usual, listening in via the podcast. All of us together forming this community known as Kensington Unitarians. If anyone's here for the first time today, a special welcome to you. I'm glad you made it. I hope you find something meaningful in the service something that meets your needs. Please do hang around for a chat afterwards and tea and biscuits if you can. And if you're a regular here, thank you for all you do to welcome all who come. Every single one of us plays a part in co-creating this community, this sacred space we hold for comfort and challenge, for connection with that which is both within us and beyond. So whoever you are, however you are, whatever side you got out of bed, you are welcome here just as you are. Thank you for choosing to consecrate this hour. And in that spirit, I'm going to invite you to join in some words to help us all intentionally arrive. Have a look on the front of your yellow hymn sheet for these words by Erica Hewitt. If you wish, I invite you to join in with the responses in bold. We are here in body, and yet we are still arriving. When we left our homes this morning, perhaps we left behind to-do lists coffee, household tasks, family members, pets, and even a cosy bed. All of these await our return. I, I am arriving. Together. together we arrive. Some of us don't remember the last time we had a quiet moment to ourselves, and yet we have chosen to be here, together, to tend to our souls and to one another. I, I am arriving. Together, together we arrive. In the days since we've last met, some of us have been changed while others are inviting change to take place within them. Some of us have experienced loss, we've lost things or opportunities or even people who are dear to us. I am arriving, together we arrive. Some of us are fighting battles we can't even speak about. Others feel happy enough that we could have flown in with our own arms. We arrive not knowing quite what to expect, but finding comfort in that which is familiar. I am arriving, together we Our arriving will not happen all at once. As we each settle in, we will find our way into togetherness and, in our own time, arrive. I am arriving, together we arrive. So let's light our chalice flame now, as we do each week. This simple ritual connects us in solidarity with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over and reminds us of the proud and historic progressive tradition of which we are a part. Out of the darkness, light. Out of the light, warmth. Out of the warmth, joy. Out of the joy togetherness may the spirit of this little flame hold us for the time that we are here together this morning we're going to move into a time of prayer and reflection now probably a, a slightly extended time so let's take a moment to get ourselves into the right state of body and mind to pray together perhaps put down anything you don't need to be holding I strive to be fully present here and now in this sacred time and space with ourselves, each other, and that which is larger than us all. Relax into this time of collective prayerfulness as we take the opportunity to reflect on our lives and the life of the world. And particularly, we'll also be marking International Women's Day in our prayers today. Spirit of life, God of all love, as we tune into the depths of life, we speak to you, the eternal. We speak to the mysterious thread that connects us one to another and to the entire universe. We speak to the deep wisdom that abides at the center of our beings. We embody the yearning of all people to connect with each other more deeply, to hear each other more keenly, to see each other's joys and sorrows as our own and know that we are not alone. That is, unless we choose to create solitude for ourselves and even then, community awaits us on the other side. Out of our yearnings, we have come to gather as this religious community. May we help each other to proclaim the possibilities we see to create the community we desire to worship what is worthy in our lives, to teach the truth as we know it, and to serve with justice in all the ways that we can, to the end that our yearning is assuaged and our lives fulfilled in one another. Let us briefly go now into that silence of the faith which is unique to each of us, and yet somehow the same, as we sink more deeply into our shared intention, And hold silence for a moment now. And in our prayers, let us also honour International Women's Day today, which this year has the theme, Each for Equal, which calls for each of us to take some responsibility for challenging stereotypes, fighting bias, broadening perceptions, improving those situations that we do have some power to influence, and celebrating the achievements of women all towards the goal of true gender equality. So let's take a moment now to give thanks for the lives and gifts of women calling to mind those who have been particularly significant and precious to us whose courage and compassion, daring and devotion, wisdom and warmth have shaped our own lives and made a significant impact on our world. And let us call to mind, too, with regret, all those women whose gifts have been overlooked, whose work has been devalued, whose contributions have been sidelined and their potential stifled, because we still live in an unjust and unequal world. May we each become ever more aware of the opportunities we have each day to notice, name, challenge and disrupt the intersecting systems of inequality in our world and to lift up, encourage and empower all those who have been disadvantaged by them. And now, taking a wider view, let us focus our loving thoughts and prayers on all those who are troubled and suffering in our world right now. And let us pray also for those who care, those who act to improve the lot of those in need. In another moment's stillness, let us call to mind a person or a situation that is in need of our loving prayers right now. And let us also focus our thoughts and our prayers on all that is nonetheless good in the world. Those things we can still be grateful for right now. All the kindness, beauty and pleasure we've known and witnessed in the past week. In another brief moment of stillness, let us call to mind something we feel moved to give thanks for. As these prayers come to a close, we offer up our joys and concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness, and call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen.
1: A Home for the Heart, Contemplating Intimacy, by Charlotte Castle. Intimacy is often felt in the spaces between us, as a sense of familiarity, knowing and care, that flows between two people. Jewish philosopher Martin Buber writes that spirit is not in the eye, but between the eye and thou. It is not like the blood that circulates in you, but like the air in which you breathe. Dictionary synonyms of intimate are familiar, warm, affectionate, close, and deep. Often, though, the experience of intimacy is beyond words. There's a sense of time stopping, of simply being at one with who we are and authentically connected to another being. Yet intimacy is not idyllic and easy. Having disputes and resolving conflict are intrinsic to intimacy when it is done with integrity. True intimacy requires a willingness to be vulnerable and to be affected by another, to be known, loved, and transformed. Intimacy also requires surrender to our inner truths. It's like making a covenant with ourselves. I will not perform for you, exaggerate for you, or fake it to please you. I will let you know me as I am without trying to control your response. Likewise, I do not want you to perform for me, fake it, take on a role, or worry about my responses. I want to know you as you are. To give up all pretense is scary. Yet only through this level of honesty and integrity do we develop the core sense of self that allows us to risk closeness to open our hearts and allow ourselves to be known. We can only connect with people when we can see them as distinct from us. Part of being intimate is to ask in a hundred ways, Who am I? Likewise, we need to open ourselves to the other and be able to ask, Who are you? If we try to modulate the differences, we dull the spark of intimacy. We distort our perceptions of others, assuming they want what we want, or to perceive situations as we do. We never truly know them as they are. When we see people as distinct, we bring them into sharp focus. This is beautifully illustrated in a story, The Little Prince, by Antoine de Saint-Exupery. The fox asks the little prince to tame him. What does that mean? Tame, asked the little prince. It is an act too often neglected, says the fox. It means to establish ties. To me, you are still nothing more than a little boy, who is just like a hundred thousand other little boys, and I have no need of you. And you, on your part, have no need of me. To you, I am nothing more than a fox, like a hundred thousand other foxes. But if you tame me, then we shall need each other. To me, you will be unique in all the world, to you, I shall be unique in all the world. It is this profound sense of knowing and cherishing someone, foibles and all, that lies at the heart of intimacy. And intimacy has a mystical quality because through our union with another person, we begin to feel a greater oneness with all that is. The river that flows in us flows through all things. Intimacy allows us to dissolve into one another, while remaining conscious of our separate journeys.
0: take us into a time of meditation now, I'm going to invite you, if you wish, to join in with a responsive litany that's printed in the centre of your hymn sheet. These words come from a marvellous group called Enfleshed, who are producing all sorts of wonderful, slightly radical material with an emphasis on liberation. I'm sure you will hear more of it in this church in the months to come. This responsive reading invites us to reflect on our need for intimate connections with friends, lovers, family, fellow creatures with whom we share this planet. The need for these intimate connections in order to fully become who we are, to become our truest self. To preview the final verse, it says, there is no me without you. We shape one another. So if you wish, I invite you to speak the refrain printed in bold, this is loving and being loved. And after this reading, we'll go into a few minutes of shared stillness and silence. As ever, you're free to use that time to think your own thoughts, to meditate in your own way. And I'll sound the bell to bring that silence to a close. To become is a lifelong process. Nothing is constant, not even the self. We evolve in the midst of narratives meant only for some and ways of being made narrow by fear and power. We must then have the courage to listen to the truth of our own lives, to the wisdom that comes from within, responding without resistance or need to control, but with welcome and curiosity. This is is what ensures our becoming is an unfolding of our truest self. This lifelong labour cannot be carried out alone. It requires help from friends and lovers, family and creaturely companions who bear witness to what makes us come alive and say to us, listen, look, feel, pay attention to that. This is loving and being loved. Telling the stories, sharing in the memories, giving thanks for the relationships, understandings and experiences past that have shaped us to this day. This is loving and being loved. Celebrating new beginnings that excite, holding risks together, leaning into unknowns with the promises of support and companionship. This is loving and being loved. Listening to the future, calling uniquely to each of us in the midst of all life's noise. Helping one another find our place in the shared labour of collective life. Supporting each other in what it is the world's ache is asking from us. This is loving and being loved. To say for the first time, this is who I am. This is the truth of my body and this is what I know about myself. This is my name and this is where my path is leading me. And to have it heard, have it received, have it affirmed. And then to say it again and again as we change and as the world changes. And to have each proclamation greeted with an open-armed embrace. This is loving and being loved. There is no me without you. We shape one another. The sacred that birthed us weaves our lives together so that we can only find ourselves through shared becoming. For my journey and all its winding ways. For yours. For all the saints who laboured for what it is, all the kin who made lives, whose lives made ours possible, for all those yet to come, for whom living our truths today will mean breaking possibilities open for them tomorrow, we pause, we give thanks, we acknowledge this is loving and being loved. So let us put down our papers now and get comfortable in our chairs taking that sense of connection with us as we settle into a time of companionable stillness. This month at Essex Church we are focusing on the theme of self and other. Sarah kicked off last week by speaking about our relationship with self and today I'm taking us into territory that's a bit more outward looking, thinking about our relationships with others and the balance between intimacy and solitude. Now, some of you probably know, it is usually me that makes these orders of service each week, even when I'm not preaching. And so part of my job every week is to find a suitable image or images, in this case, to fit the topic, which is often more challenging than you might think, given the abstract, spiritual and ethical topics we often talk about. We subscribe to an online image library so that the photographers get properly paid, and I search for abstract topics like grace and redemption and disappointment and heresy. And to be honest, they're not well-represented concepts in the world of stock images on the internet when it came to illustrating this week's topic, well, that gave me a slightly different problem. You see, if you go onto the internet and you search for pictures of intimacy, there's only one sort of intimacy they think you're looking for. There was a lot of cavorting pictured in those images, lots of youthful flesh on show, and altogether more bums than I bargained for. I suppose I should have embraced for it, though. In our society, intimacy is often used as a euphemism for sex, and there's nothing wrong with that. But more generally, I'd say there's a societal bias by which many of us tend to primarily associate intimacy with conventional romantic and sexual relationships, exclusive partner-type relationships, and prioritise those more highly than everything else. So in today's service, I want us to think about intimacy a bit more broadly than that, considering its key characteristics, yet still honouring its potentially infinite variations. As we heard in that piece by Charlotte Castle, which Anthony read for us earlier, the heart of intimacy is to know and be known as we are, authentically and without pretense. And that, of course, is not limited to romantic and sexual relationships. It can be present between friends, within families, with other species perhaps, in both lifelong connections and the briefest of encounters. It's possible with people we see in person every day, and these days particularly, perhaps with people we barely see at all face-to-face. Some of my closest beloveds live hundreds of miles away and most of our intimacy takes place in writing and on the phone. Nor is it necessarily limited to just one central relationship. If we're lucky, each of us will be part of some kind of distributed intimacy, finding ourselves in a whole web of meaningful connections. We don't have to get all our intimacy needs met by just one person and in truth we probably won't. There is risk involved in intimacy. To know and to be known, we must first trust that when we are that honest, when we make ourselves so mutually vulnerable with someone else, that we will be safe and we will be accepted. That the precious gift of our true self will be received with love, or at least with care and attentiveness. That this sharing will lead to connection. We need to risk dropping our masks and telling our truth rather than putting on a front and putting a respectable gloss on our personality in order to try and win the other person over. Perhaps admitting our neediness, our hunger for affection and approval and in so doing, risking disappointment. Or revealing some of our struggles, some of our less acceptable bits and risking rejection. Intimacy is a kind of bilateral disarmament both must take down their defences to some degree, but usually one of you has to have the courage to go first, to unilaterally disarm your heart. There's another aspect to intimacy which Charlotte Castle mentioned, with reference to the story of the fox and the little prince, and that's the idea of taming and being tamed. This is a necessarily slow process, one by which someone, someone who you've most likely met by chance shifts from being just one of about 7.8 billion on this planet into the unique and irreplaceable soul who you cherish. It's a process of establishing ties, perhaps even acknowledging some degree of mutual dependence. And there's a third dimension to intimacy which we explored in our Litany for Becoming. There's something in this closeness, this loving attention, which is potentially transformative Once we've let down our guard with someone, they can help to shape us, help to draw out the true self we're in the process of becoming, by supporting us and affirming us and also challenging us. I should acknowledge that even apparently negative experiences of intimacy will shape us, for better or worse, drawing out strengths we didn't know we had, finding our reserves of resilience maybe. We may see something in another person which inspires us to be the best we can be, Or they may see some potential in us, which we could not see for ourselves, and encourage it. It may simply be that being seen and accepted for who we truly are, we just come to flourish naturally. There's a short quote from the Buddhist teacher, Jack Cornfield. He says, The things that matter most in our lives are not fantastic or grand. They are the moments where we touch one another, when we are there in the most attentive or caring way. This simple and profound intimacy is the love that we all long for. That sounds about right to me. This longing for intimacy of some sort, I would say, is a close to universal experience among humans and a major source of life's meaning for many of us. But there is something else I want to mention. The title of the service is Intimacy and Solitude, after all. In The Guardian this week, there was a long and wonderfully juicy interview with the actor and, as far as I'm concerned, national treasure, Miriam Margolis. I don't know if any of you read it. Fantastic. I mean, it's still online, so do have a look. It was tremendously entertaining. It was just as naughty as you might hope. Um, But one of the more sober things she mentioned in passing was that she and her partner, Heather, they've been together in a romantic relationship for over 50 years. Uh, They choose to live in different countries. Miriam Margolis's career in TV and film is busier than ever, at the age of 78, and her partner is an academic who is active in retirement. They've both got work to do, which they care about. Work which, to some degree, fulfils their purpose, their calling in life. So to make this possible, they live in different countries, they see each other face to face about eight times a year, she says, but they speak on the phone every day. I've got to tell you, I envy this relationship. <laughs> this sounds like a perfect setup to me in many ways. There's that balance they're playing with between intimacy and solitude, being known and clearly, utterly cherished, and yet remaining people in your own right, honouring your own life's sense of calling and what that requires you to do. I'd say we each have a part to play in the unfolding of the universe, some holy work that's ours and ours only, So for an intimate relationship to support that, to support our process of becoming, it needs to have a bit of breathing room. We should perhaps be wary of merging too much into the other person, being lost entirely and sacrificing our own life goals. And perhaps on International Women's Day I ought to mention that this kind of disappearance has historically happened more to women. All this makes me think of some famous words by Khalil Gibran from the prophet on marriage. I'll just share a few excerpts. He wrote, Let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but make not a bond of love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Sing and dance together and be joyous, but let each one of you be alone, even as the strings of a lute are alone, yet they quiver with the same music. And stand together, yet not too near together, for the pillars of the temple stand apart, and the oak tree and the cypress grow not in each other's shadow. Words from Khalil Gibran. Now, it seems to me that this apparent paradox, these elements which seem to be in tension with each other in intimate relationships, can be characterised in lots of ways. Within ourselves, or between ourselves and a significant other, there can be tensions between intimacy and solitude, closeness and distance, attachment and freedom, dependence and independence, surrender and autonomy, too-muchness and not-enoughness. And I expect we all have different and fluctuating needs along all of these axes. Each intimate relationship, therefore, is likely to exist in a state of slightly unstable equilibrium, and negotiating around these mismatched and ever-changing needs might well feel awkward and difficult. But in a way, even this process of constant negotiation and rebalancing, that too is part of our process of becoming. There's a quote on the front of your order of service from Esther Perel, a psychotherapist, which speaks to this, and I'm going to read a slightly extended version of it to you. She writes, "Love rests on two pillars: surrender and autonomy. Our need for togetherness exists alongside our need for separateness. One does not exist without the other. With too much distance, there can be no connection. But too much merging eradicates the separateness of two distinct individuals." Then there is nothing more to transcend, no bridge to walk on, no one to visit on the other side, no other internal world to enter. When people become fused, when two become one, connection can no longer happen, there's no one to connect with. This separat- thus, separateness is a precondition for connection. This is the essential paradox of intimacy. What is words from Esther Perel which speak to that necessary tension between intimacy and solitude? Another dimension of this tension can perhaps be expressed in more explicitly spiritual terms. As Charlotte Castle said in that reading earlier, through intimacy we begin to feel a greater sense of oneness with all that is and perceive the river that flows in us flows through all things. Yet at the same time we remain conscious of our separate journeys as in intimate connection, we may truly see the other, see each other as unique and unrepeatable points of light in the unfolding universe. And in that second quote on your order of service, Martin Buber spells out the theological dimension of intimacy even more directly when he says, when two people relate to each other authentically and humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. In this picture, we might think of deepest intimacy as experiencing that of God in the other. But let's not forget in such a view that the other is simultaneously experiencing that of God in us. God is on both sides of that equation, God encountering God, and it's in the authentic connection between us two. As we are intimately caught up in each other's process of becoming, we are also an indispensable part of the becoming of the whole universe and even, as far out as it may sound, a part of the very becoming of God. So in the week ahead, may we look for opportunities for intimacy, large and small, and have the courage both to disarm our hearts and protect our solitudes in turn, remembering that this ever-shifting balance between the two is a key part of the cosmic dance. And to close, I'll echo the last verse of our Litany for Becoming as a blessing. There is no me without you. We shape one another. The sacred that birthed us weaves our lives together so that we can only find ourselves through shared becoming. For my journey and all its winding ways. For yours. For all the saints who laboured for what is. All the kin whose lives made ours possible. For all those yet to come for whom living our truths today will mean breaking possibilities open for them tomorrow. We pause, we give thanks, we acknowledge, for this is loving and being loved. Amen. No matter how small or how frightened we may feel in these uncertain times, we each have gifts that can still make a difference in the world. So in the coming week, may you do at least one thing to support the broken, to welcome the stranger, to celebrate what is worthy, and to do the work of justice and love. Be strong, be connected, embrace the process of our mutual becoming, and each day act so you and we all may be a little more whole. So may it be. Amen.